Well, good morning, Mission Church. It is the early service, isn't it? Anybody feeling that today? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, the very first book in your New Testament. Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. As you're turning there, allow me to pray once more. Father, we pray. We pray for your Spirit's guidance. We pray, Lord God, for you to reveal truth to us today. Transform our hearts. Father, I I pray that you would bring clarity to our minds. Cause us to be a church on mission. Cause us to be a people who are focused and convinced and convicted to do what it is you've called us to do. Help us to live our lives for you today, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the church said... Amen. All right, we are in our third week of our series called Clarity, and we're seeking clarity on our new name. Would you say our new name with me one more time? Say our name. Come on, Mission Church. Church. It just rolls off the tongue so well. We've been asking these two questions and seeking clarity. For those of you who are guests with us today, these are the two questions. Who has the Lord called us to be? And what has the Lord called us to be most about? And to answer uh, these two questions, that is our name. The Lord has called us to be the church, to be the family of God, to be his people called out uh, from this generation. We're the church. Say church. church. What are we called to be about? We're called to be about the mission of Jesus Christ. And so we're zeroing in on this. What is the mission? Up to this point, Matthew chapter 16, we learned that Jesus Christ is the master builder of the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He's the master builder. Last week we learned this, that Jesus Christ is the model that we follow in the pursuit of his mission and the building of his church. He said this, as the Father sends me, so do I send you. You see, we've learned who this mission is all about, who the church is for. We've learned what it's supposed to look like, but this week, now, now the big idea is this, how? How do we go about the, myth, the mission? I don't know about you, when there's something large in front of me, it helps me to have a method or a system to help me work my way through. Anyone? Uh, I was reminded of this uh, very, very recently when my wife commissioned me to a mission. Men, you've been commissioned by your wives toward a mission recently? I can only imagine what it may have been, but in my world, it was the worst mission. I mean, it doesn't get much lower than this particular mission. Um, one, two, three, four. Uh, it's even a four-letter word. I had to spell it out in my head. This mission involved me going with her to the nation of Ikea. (laughs) Everything in me despises Ikea. The Lord knew, the Lord knew that we couldn't handle having an Ikea in our own town. And so now we have to drive, I don't know, at least an hour to an hour and a half every time um, my wonderful wife has this great premonition inside of her to go and fulfill whatever longing exists and is only fulfilled at Ikea. And so it consumes an entire day. You hop in the car, and she says, don't worry, don't worry, it's going to be great. They have Swedish meatballs. 
I'm convinced they have Swedish meatballs only to get husbands in the door. It's our reward at the end of every journey. It's an all-consuming task. It's an hour plus each way. And then you get there. What kind of store, what kind of store causes you to go up a flight of stairs and then walk through this maze of temptation? As you're walking through this maze of temptations, only one way through the store, and dare you backtrack in any way, you get some dirty looks. Finally, you go and you discover and you, in a reconnaissance fashion, pull a card or something from a thing and then make your way down said flight of stairs again to the dungeon of self-retrieval. Pushing all the while in said dungeon this incredible cart of torture and death. Anyone with me? If you figure out how to steer one of those things, somebody please send me the memo. Everything about Ikea drives me crazy. Everything about Ikea makes for a bad day for me. But the only thing good about Ikea is that I get to spend time with my wife when we go there. But make no mistake, it's always a really long drive to Ikea. Because I make sure my wife understands how much I despise it. <laughs> and she's like, can you at least smile? <laughs> Honey, it's going to be okay. Trust me, I have a method. We're going to get in and we're going to get out this time. Listen, listen. I'm not sure she said it exactly like this, but this is what I hear. All shopping authority has been granted unto me. So I need you now to go, therefore, with me to the land of Ikea. Listen, I will immerse you in the ways of Ikea shopping. I will teach you all that you need to know, honey. And please have no fear, for lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the trip. That sounded pretty good to me. And so as a faithful husband, I went. And I've learned now to submit myself to the wise discipleship of my wife in these areas. And lo and behold, it wasn't that bad. She still hasn't gotten me to eat a Swedish meatball. I refuse. I heard there's something in them that make you go back. <laughs> but there is something to the method. There is something to the plan. There is something to saying, honey, we're going to go. I have a plan. We're going to get in. We're going to get out. We're going to accomplish. We're not going to be distracted this time. We actually, it's going to be, there's something about a method that helps us navigate overwhelming tasks. And so when it comes to the mission of the church, when it comes to the mission of Christ, when, I don't know, when eternity hangs in the balance, when the lives and the souls of people are at stake, when there's redemptive significance here, it is certainly understandable that we too would feel overwhelmed as we begin to approach what it is that Jesus Christ has called us to. But fortunately, the Lord has not left us to wander. 
Fortunately, as it pertains to the mission, he doesn't only tell us who the mission belongs to and what it's supposed to look like, but Jesus Christ gives us a clear method that we are to follow so that we can be sure that we are accomplishing what it is he's called us to do. And so today we're going to get right to it. Today, Jesus' method is found in one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. I've got to tell you, preaching, the most familiar passages are sometimes the most difficult. And so today, here we are, Matthew 28. Matthew 28. If you have your Bible, I hope you have it open. Would you look at me? Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. We're going to look at the very last chapter. Matthew 28, we're actually going to start in verse 1. And what you need to understand about verse 1 is this. This is indeed resurrection morning. We're picking it up again at resurrection morning. And so now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week on Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for, earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and he rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. That's the part I remember from Sunday school. Anyone? I just vividly remember the picture of the angel sitting on that stone. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men, like they passed out. Now watch, the angel says, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Listen, he is not here. He has risen, as he said. Come on now, see the place where he lay. Then, now, go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. And just so there's no doubt, just so they don't lose heart halfway down the trail, Jesus Christ himself comes to these women. Look at verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they began to worship him. I find it fascinating so many other encounters of the risen Jesus, they didn't recognize who he was. But here, two women immediately know who he is, and they fall at his feet and begin to worship. And then he says this, listen, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. And so from here, the ladies split back into town, and they go and they talk to the disciples. And we learned in Mark chapter 16, they're like, hey, Jesus is risen. They're like, no, we're not going to believe it. No, honestly, he really is. They're like, no, we can't believe it. And so Jesus Christ, in his grace... comes and he appears to Peter. Then Jesus Christ again, he comes and he appears to two on the Emmaus Road. And then we learned last week in John chapter 20 that Jesus comes on the night of the resurrection and he spends time with his disciples and he says, as the Lord has sent me, I send you. We know this, eight days later, Jesus is going to appear again 
This time with Thomas in the room. He's going to say to Thomas, if this is what you need, to believe. Sometime after this, sometime after this, comes verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Stop! How many of you were taught that Matthew 28 were Jesus' final words before he ascended into heaven? How many of you were taught that like Jesus said, these are his last words, therefore his most important words, and right before he went into heaven, we have Matthew 28. Here's the problem. This is a mountain somewhere in Galilee. Luke 24 makes it abundantly clear. Acts 1 makes it clear that Jesus ascended off of the Mount of Olives. We know this for sure. After this encounter, Jesus Christ is going to have at least two more appearances with the disciples. One is going to be in the boats when he teaches them how to fish again. He's going to spend time with Peter saying, do you love me three times? And then there's going to be this final giving of the Great Commission where Jesus Christ is going to ascend up into heaven. Come on, check this. The Great Commission wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that Jesus tagged on to the very, very end of his life. Oh, by the way, before I leave, I want to make sure you guys understand that there's a mission. What's fascinating to me is from the day he rose from the dead, he began talking about the mission. A week later, again, what consumed Jesus' conversation and these appearances after his resurrection over and over and over and over again was this. You are going to go as I have gone. I will go with you. You have a mission. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to an undisclosed mountain at an undisclosed time. And they went to this mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you hear the Great Commission? Did you hear the imperative command? Did you hear the method? Did you hear how we're to be going about the Great Commission? We are to go, come on, lift up your voice. We are to go and make what? We are to go and make? We are to go and make? We are to make? All right, so you got it. Three times is the trigger. Disciples. The primary imperative in this passage is abundantly clear. It's this. You are to make disciples. One imperative command accomplished. Come on, English friends, my grammatical companions. Three participles are how we're going to accomplish it. Here comes the method. 
Come on, make disciples, participles, that which ends with I-N-G. Going, make disciples. Baptizing, make disciples. Teaching, make disciples. Make disciples by going. Make disciples by baptizing. Make disciples by teaching. Have you all heard this before? Raise your hand if you've heard this before. Are you ready to gain just a little more clarity, though, in that which we presume and that which we've probably taken for granted over and over and over again? How many times have we read Matthew 28? If you're ready, if you're ready to gain clarity on the method for the mission, come on this morning, say let's go. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Four evidences, four evidences that we actually are following Jesus' method for the mission. Four evidences that we are actually following Jesus' method for the mission. Are we going? Are we baptizing? Are we teaching? Are we truly making disciples? Uh, here's the first thing that will give us evidence that we truly are. If we really are following Jesus' method, we will worship with certainty. We will worship with certainty. Like, I've heard Matthew 28 preached a lot of times, and I don't remember this point. Come on, take a look at the text. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. They went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they had saw him, they worshiped. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. I love the fact that the mission of Jesus Christ is given to his followers in the context of them worshiping. As the disciples worshiped, Jesus Christ appears and he comes and he gives them clarity of purpose. He gives them clarity of mission. He comes and says, hey, as I, you know that as I'm going to build my church, you know that as, I, as, as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. Now here's what that means. I find it overwhelmingly fascinating that this clarity is brought in the context of obedient worship. Obedience. They went to the mountain where Jesus directed them. Undisclosed mountain at an undisclosed time. But here's the point. If it's in Galilee, things went down in Jerusalem. Here are men who refused to believe who were persuaded enough, who had hope enough. How real was that encounter on resurrection night? How real was that encounter seven days later? For they would have picked up from there and journeyed a couple of days to this undisclosed mountain. This took effort. This took obedience. And so here they are. You see, obedience placed them in the position to worship a risen Christ. Obedience put them in a position to worship a risen Christ. And worship then placed them in a posture to receive his mission. Hear it again. Obedience placed them in a position to worship the risen Christ. But worship then placed them in a posture to be sent and equipped for the mission of God. And if you're a really in-depth super sleuth of the scriptures... You may be thinking to yourself right now, yeah, but Pastor Jerry, some doubted. I know, I know, I know what you're doing. You're focusing on the worship part. 
And that's really good, and that's really positive. But you know what? My, my glass is half empty, and I see it right here. It says that some doubted. Come on, is it any, is it any surprise to you that some people could have possibly doubted in this moment? Listen, while you may want to focus on the fact that some doubted, how about it's equally important to focus on this? Despite their doubt, they still obeyed and came. Despite their doubt, they still obeyed and put themselves in the presence of God. Despite their doubt, they were still in a posture, even in the midst of others while worshiping, where they could actually see and come encounter, have an encounter with the risen Lord. We don't know this for certain, hear that very, very clearly, but many, many commentators believe that perhaps this was the encounter where Jesus appeared to 500 witnesses all at once. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, the Apostle Paul alludes to it as part of his gospel proclamation that he appeared to 500 witnesses at once. Now, if that's true, if that is true, just think about it. Outside of the 11 and outside of the few, none of them would have seen the risen Christ up until this point. And so the fact that if there is a large crowd gathered, the fact that some immediately worshiped and the fact that some doubted really is not a surprise at all, especially when you understand the word doubt. Make note of this, the word doubt. The stazo means to waver. It means to lack confidence. It means to hesitate. Have you ever been amongst others who are deeply engaged in worship? While harboring doubts of your own? Have you ever come to a worship service and really, if you were honest with yourself, kind of the noise of this week really has begun to get to you? And I really do have a lot of questions and I come to church and sometimes it just sounds like platitudes. I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm lacking confidence. Do you ever come to church and deep down in your spirit there really is a hesitancy while everybody else seems to be able to thrust their hands up in the air and they seem to be all engaged and you're sitting here like, ah. They worshiped, but some hesitated. They worshiped, but some really did have legitimate doubts. Some worshiped. They worshiped, but some really did lack confidence. But I, what I want you to catch here is this. They were still there. They were still there. And so the, the imperative is this. If we're going to be a church on mission, you've got you've to press into your doubts. Sometimes my heart has to remind my mind what I've chosen to believe what the Lord has empowered me to believe. Listen, doubts are part of this faith journey. Doubts are part of this faith journey. And the security of your salvation is not in the fact that you don't doubt, but in the fact that the Holy Spirit empowers you to overcome your doubts. Listen, 
They doubted, but they were there because they obeyed, because they pushed through their doubt, because they did as Jesus directed. They were given the opportunity to have an encounter with the risen Lord. How many of you, when we start to doubt, we start to pull away? The text says, despite their hesitation, they worshiped. It's all inclusive. They worshiped. The presence of Jesus was persuasive. The presence of Jesus was convincing. They worshiped, but some hesitated. But friends, when Jesus Christ spoke these words, all authority is given unto me. We too need to push through an obedient worship. In his presence, hear me, our doubts are dispelled. It's in obedience surrender that our hesitations begin to melt. Hear me, obedience dispels doubt. Obedience dispels doubt. And so they worshiped. And in the context of worship, Jesus equipped them. And in the context of adoration, Jesus commissioned them again. In the context of pressing through, despite their hesitancies, Jesus Christ showed up and he says, this is what I want you to do. Friends, don't miss this. Worship leads to service. Worship leads to service. Vertical, worshiping churches become sending churches. Worshiping churches become sending churches. Vertical churches are the churches that become the most missional for it's in the glory of God that we long to see God's glory shine throughout the land and shine throughout the nation and shine within the lives of those we care for. Worshiping churches become sending churches. Vertical churches, let me say it again, become missional churches. We have to first and foremost fix fixate ourselves on the glory of the Lord that we might out of that find our purpose. It was John Piper who was credited for saying and quoted so many times, mission exists where worship doesn't. And because worship doesn't, as we worship the Lord, we long for others to worship the Lord. And where worship is lacking, we go to share the gospel that more worshipers may rise up. Worship drives us to mission. Which leads us to the second point then. If we're truly following the method of Jesus, I believe with all of our heart we'll be a worship-filled, glorifying eyes on Jesus, looking up, hands raised, pushing through our doubts kind of church that then we'll be able to go with confidence. Many of us just kind of choose to go as a kind of a cognitive thing. We just got, we're going to go, we're just going to go, we're going to go. Listen, it's got to be born out of a heart of worship to God first. Go, verse 19. But before the going is this, we're not just going, we're going with great confidence. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
The Greek word here means this, official right to power. All official right to power in heaven and all official right to power on earth, it is mine. It has been given to me. Now this whole idea of given makes you go, well, if it was given to him, does that mean like he didn't have it at some point? Jesus has always been all-powerful. Jesus has always been the Son of God. Jesus has always possessed authority. He taught with authority. He healed with authority. He forgave sins with authority. He cast out demons with authority. But hear this. While Jesus never ceased to possess authority... While on earth, Philippians chapter 2 tells us this, he willingly, he voluntarily emptied himself and limited his own access to the full extent of his authority. Come on, theological thinking caps on. This is called the kenosis. You can write that down and study it later. Philippians chapter 2 says this, how rich... Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's the all-powerful Son of God. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Servants. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He shrouded his glory with human flesh. And being found in human form then, he humbled himself, becoming obedient. When you're in charge, when you have all authority, there's nothing to be obedient to. You are the boss. And so Jesus willingly and voluntarily became obedient to the point of becoming a servant, to putting on human flesh. He became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Do you see it? And now because of this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Sound familiar? All authority has been given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you hear it? To the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. He never ceased to possess authority. But you see, after humbling himself, after emptying himself, he exploded from the grave with all authority. His resurrection demonstrates his sovereign power over death. His resurrection revealed his rightful position as the all-powerful, all-authoritative king of the universe, ruler over all things. Jesus right now is declaring that he's God. He has the right and he has the power to do as he pleases. When he says all authority here, I checked it in the Greek. The word all means all. All authority. Come on, think of an authority right now. Jesus is authority over that. Think of some power that you fear. 
Listen, every obstacle that we face, every political obstruction that is raised, every emotional barrier that is built, every prejudice that is hurled, every sin that is condoned, every fiery dart that is thrown, every lie that is told, Jesus Christ has authority over it all. We need not fear legislation. We need not fear opinion. We need not fear the ways of this world. Jesus Christ says this, all authority has been given unto me. If you believe that, live like that. Let us not hide behind our keyboards nor deep in the caverns of our home, but let us stand for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us proclaim the gospel of Jesus that lives can be transformed from the inside out. May morality take root and find its seat within the hearts of men. How does that happen? We begin to believe that all authority belongs to Jesus. We have to remember that we have been sent with the authority of Christ. And we have to remember that we've been sent with the authority of Christ. Listen, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 37. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Who's the church? We are. You see, with this authority, it's with authority, it's with authority that Jesus calls us to make disciples. It's with authority. It's with confidence. It's with confidence. It's not sheepishly under your breath. It's with a security, not with an oppressive weirdness, but with just a security that this is what I believe and it makes me who I am. It's with this authority that Jesus says, make disciples going as you go, while you're going, going, comma, make disciples. You see, the grammatical structure here allows us to read it because it is a participle. It allows us to read it like this. As you are going, make disciples. There's one imperative. There's one command, make disciples. And so it frees us to read the text to say, as you are going, as you go about your day, as you go about your travel, as you go about your life, as you go about your spiritual journey, be sure to bring others along with you. No matter where you are, no matter who you're with, A person whose mind is set on the mission is thinking, is this someone who the Lord is calling to himself? God, would you use me today? I'm not going to take a step. I'm not going to pound on a door that you don't open, but I'm going to be ready if you do. We preach the gospel everywhere to everyone at every opportunity that we have. Sometimes it comes in the form of a personal testimony. This is what God's done for me. And yeah, I freak out when I watch the news too, but it's a great way to start a testimony of the gospel. Make a disciple. 
Make a disciple. A disciple is this, a submissive learner. At the very foundational definition of a disciple, it is a submissive learner. It's one who follows after a teacher. It's one who adheres to his teaching. It's somebody who learns, loves, and actually lives with the teacher. Here's something really interesting. Within the culture of Jesus' day, a rabbi didn't go out and seek disciples. Disciples came and made their appeal to the rabbi. And so if you were blessed with the opportunity for a, a rabbi to say yes to you, you weren't subscribing to some school, you weren't subscribing to some institution, you weren't merely joining a group, you were aligning your allegiance to the teacher. And so when we're going to make disciples, we're not merely inviting people to our church. We're not merely saying, hey, you got to check out small group. Although I think wonderful things happen in both of those places. We make disciples by calling allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ alone. When Jesus Christ is at the center, when Jesus Christ is the head, we'll long to be part of a biblical church. When Jesus Christ is the head, when Jesus Christ is the center, we'll long to be a part of a biblical community. But if our allegiance is to any one of those other things, it, we very quickly can replace our allegiance to the Lord, to our allegiance to an institution or our allegiance to the fact that I'm accepted in a group. Hear this. You're accepted by Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a disciple of his. Now an obedient disciple will long to be part of his church. An obedient disciple will long to be in community. But let's put the first thing first. So here... It is incredibly countercultural for Jesus to look at his disciples and say to them, Go, you make disciples. It's completely countercultural for a disciple to go and make other disciples. They should be pounding on their own chest, thankful that they get to be a disciple. Other people should be applying, they should be subscribing, they should be begging for this opportunity. But Jesus Christ says, No, go. As I've been sent, into a dark world, I'm sending you. Just as you couldn't love me until I first loved you, so too do you need to go with the love of Jesus going before you that others may be one unto me. How far do we go? To all the nations. How far do we go? To all of the nations. So here's the thing. There's a pendulum in this teaching that has swung both ways. Go ye therefore. And so all the attention is placed on the go. And so we march the flags down the aisle and we haven't really made disciples until people have gone to East Jibip. We've laid hands upon and they've bought eight plane tickets and they've gone somewhere. Then there's the other extreme. And the other extreme is this. Oh, don't tell me I got to buy plane tickets and passports. It says as you are going. The Great Commission to me is as simple as living my life. That is the Great Commission to me. Oh, that's wonderful. What is the Great Commission to Jesus? The mission begins as you are going. And it doesn't end until the nations are reached. The mission begins in your life right now. 
The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, as you are going, you are thinking to yourself, could God, could you use me in this moment? Could you use me in this relationship? Could you use me in discipling this person? Lord God, as I am going, please use me. But there, we cannot minimize this. There will be some who don't just go. They're going to go. And there are some of you sitting in this room who are not just sent. We want to see you sent. And there are some in this room, all of us are called, but there are some in this room who will be capital C called. We are not going to hide under the idea that we, I go to church and I'm doing my thing. It couldn't be me. It could be all of you. And a true disciple of Jesus Christ will say this, God, if it is me, I'll go. but I think many Christians in the Western world are just attending church and they're happy to contribute to the making of disciples to which contribution is so wonderful and so important. But I do believe that God desires you to be all in on this. Go. With all authority, go. So here's the scope. As you are going to all the world, this takes real intentionality. As you go does not mean as you feel like it. As you are going does not mean as Pastor Jerry feels like it. It means as I'm going all the time. And as we go, we preach. What are we preaching? Jesus Christ, predicted Messiah. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. Jesus Christ died a painful death upon a cross for my sins. Jesus Christ went to the grave for three days, Jesus Christ rose again three days later, defeating sin, death, and hell. Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now sits as the Lord and the judge of all things and all authority rests upon him. What are we preaching? Come on, repent, believe, be baptized, which leads us to our third point. If we are following the method of Jesus and fulfilling his mission, it means we're going to go with confidence. We're going to worship with certainty. Out of that worship, we're going to go with confidence. And as we go with confidence and we proclaim this gospel, we will baptize then with clarity. Verse 19 again says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Here comes the next I-N-G word, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Every baptism is a milestone celebration. Every baptism ought to be a party. Every baptism is a reminder that Jesus Christ actually is fulfilling his mission. Another dark soul has found light. That which was dead has now become alive. That which was dirty has now been made clean. Look and see. Jesus Christ truly is building his church. How do we know? Because there are those who are giving public declaration of this. What you need to know here is baptismo in the Greek literally means to immerse. And so the reason why we get people all the way wet is because we think the word means make sure you get them all the way wet. See, Jews would have regarded baptism in their day as a symbol of conversion. When a Gentile became a Jew, there was a baptismal ceremony for them. But here, think about this. Jesus flips the script and he's like, no, 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 no. All y'all, if you believe, be baptized. <coughs> Jesus Christ is calling for all people who believe in him to be identified with him 
in baptism. You see, baptism is not merely a means of faith. It's not, pardon me, it's not a means of faith. It's a demonstration or an evidence of faith. You see, we become a disciple the moment we believe. Many of you already know this to be true, but make sure your pastor says it to you. You become a disciple. You become a follower of Jesus the moment you believe. We confess with our mouth. When we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. But remember, a disciple is somebody who follows after the teaching of a teacher. And so baptism, baptism then becomes for us our first opportunity to demonstrate obedience and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Baptism becomes our first opportunity to declare that he is our master, that he is our savior, that he is our teacher. When somebody is baptized, they are declaring two things. Two things are being revealed, who they are and whose they are. And who they are is a child of God. That's what's being revealed in that moment. And whose they are, whose they are, is they are a child of the triune God. And so we baptize in the name of the Father, for the eternal Father has now become your Father. We baptize in the name of the Son, because in the Son, He is now your Savior and your Lord. We baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit, because you are identifying that Jesus Christ is your power, that the Holy Spirit is your empowerment to live the life that Jesus has called you to live. Friends, this is why we get fired up about baptism around here. This is why we get so excited. It's, it's a celebration. It's not a yoke. We don't want to press it upon any of you. But an opportunity we believe sits in front of us. Baptism is declaring, I belong to a triune God and I belong to his family, the church. We all are participants in every baptism. For they're being baptized into Jesus and they're being baptized and identifying with his family, the church. We need to be here to welcome every believer. And so here I want to be very sensitive because some of you are raised in faith traditions where baptism has not been taught this way. You've been raised in faith traditions where it's approached differently. And listen, I don't want to disparage your faith tradition. But what I do want to do today is for you to take a fresh look at the scriptures. What does the Bible say? What is the opportunity that is being put in front of us? You see, baptism is a big deal here at Mission Church because we believe baptism was a big deal to Jesus. We believe baptism was a big deal to his apostles. And as you read the New Testament, I would challenge you, find one believer in the New Testament who wasn't baptized upon their belief. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved upon their belief. Try withholding somebody from baptism, and then you would turn over to Acts chapter 8, and the Ethiopian eunuch is like, hey, yo, what prevents me from getting in the water? Y'all aren't holding me back. So there was this idea that like this was something that was in, people anticipated. Listen, when the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he assumed in his writing that every believer there was baptized. Hear it. Fresh take on Romans 6. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is presented to us by Christ because it is the clearest picture of what happens to us the moment we become his. It says we died to our old life. And now we've been raised to a brand new life in him. Listen, baptism is not merely a step on your spiritual journey. It's a crucial first step. It's a first step of obedience. It's a first step of belonging. It's a first step of new life. It's a first step of purpose and mission. And you might be sitting here today and you're like, yeah, but I've been a Christian for a real long time. And that feels like starting over. What I want you to hear is this. I wasn't baptized until I was a sophomore in Bible college. I was raised in a church that did not emphasize baptism. I was raised in a church that actually told me that I didn't need to be baptized. And so I spent a lot of years and lived a lot of life and attended a lot of Sunday schools and came to a lot of worship services. And so when I finally, when I was finally approached with this idea that I needed to be baptized and I saw it in the scriptures and I studied it for myself, I got to be honest with you, it was an incredibly humbling moment for me. But God opened the door and I have to be honest with you, something happened in my life there. I was putting it off and I was putting it off and this is my testimony, I'm not pushing it upon you. My testimony was it was my pride that kept saying no. Too much time had gone by. People will think I'm a new believer. They will think I don't know what I know. I've already put in two years of Bible college. What kind of chump goes to Bible college and doesn't even know this stuff? I entered those waters and I came out not only as Jesus as my Savior, but I knew in that moment that he was my Lord for my pride had to be broke. That's my testimony. I don't know what yours will be. But please don't hear me pressing upon you something other than that which we would want the Holy Spirit to move in your life for. And we will walk with you and we will work with you and we will be patient with the Lord's work in your life. But make no mistake, when you get wet, I'm gonna cheer like nobody's business, all right? Because we believe that that's what the Lord desires. Final point, because I'm out of time. You're like, I felt that three doses ago. All right, come on. <laughs> Final thing. Once you're baptized, then, 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 finally, we can teach with conviction. This will, go, this will go along. We'll pick this up again next week in Luke 24. But we must teach. To be on mission and making disciples, we must go, we must baptize, we must teach. A disciple is one who obediently follows after the teaching. And you can't obediently follow after the teacher if you don't know what the teacher's teaching pretty simple. And so you're like, well, where do we start? It says, teach them to observe all that Christ commanded. Anybody got your, anyone had the corner on the market on that? Anyone feel like, oh, that's super simple. Let me just lift off my list of all that Jesus Christ commanded. Where in the world do you start? The idea is that the life of Christ will become our life. 
that the way of Jesus will become our way. And the way and the place that you find that is by simply opening up your Bible. And when you open up your Bible, what you'll find is the apostles took this very, very seriously. And you will find a pattern in all of their letters where they were sure to teach that all of our lives would align up with the life of Jesus. And you will find in all of the epistles, what it will say is this. Come on, trust Jesus Christ as your, per, as your Lord and Savior. And as you do, your heart will be filled with new virtue. Sound familiar? Love, joy, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, hope. As your heart is filled with new virtue, you will put off the old life, and you're going to put on a new life. This new virtue and this new life is going to be carried into your home. And dad, you're going to desire to be a father like your heavenly father. And wives are going to desire to be a bride like the church is called to be a bride. And you're going to seek to raise up children who love and honor Jesus. It's not that complicated. And then you're going to bring that unity of your home and that, that family at home. You're going to bring that family, that grace, that love, that principle, and you're going to bring it into the family of God. And once you understand family here, you're going to understand that we are a family, and you bring those same principles here. And so spiritual leaders need to be spiritual fathers like their heavenly father. And we as a church collectively will seek to submit ourselves to the ways of Jesus. Put off, put on, hearts with new virtue grace-filled, loving homes, grace-filled, loving, unified church who stands on principle. All of us gifted with a spiritual gift that we can use to serve the Lord. And then Titus chapter 3, I believe we will seek within the unity and the conviction of our church to then do good works. Titus 3 says, teach, teach then the church to do good works. Respect governing authorities. Be a witness to a watching world. May they see a hope in you and say, what is this hope that is within you that we might be willing to give an answer? There's the open door. Come on, let me share. Would you like to follow after this teaching? And then as we do, we'll need to be sober. We need to be watchful for we have an adversary who prowls like a roaring lion who would like to upset this thing. He would like to upset you any chance he could get. Come on, think of any teaching. Think of any teaching in the word of God. Think of any area of your life. Jesus Christ has spoken about it. Embrace my gospel, heart filled with new virtue, put off, put on homes ordered in the ways of Christ, church grounded in the love of Christ, witness going forth in a world who needs Christ, and a sobriety that puts us on our knees because we know our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against strongholds and principalities and powers of darkness. How do we live this life? We certainly can't live it alone, can we? And that's why the most glorious, perhaps arguably the most glorious sentence in this entire commissioning is this. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Every disciple is a learner, and every learner needs to be a teacher at some level. May it happen in your home. May it happen in your workplace. May it happen in our church. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
I started this morning by saying that methods help us to navigate complicated missions. And I shared with you a lighthearted story about a mission that my wife gave me to go with her to Ikea. And the reality is, I really love my wife. I love being with my wife. We've been through highs and we've been through lows and we've seen heartache and pain and we've celebrated together and we've been on mission together and we've journeyed together. Honestly, there's not a day in my life that I don't want to be with my wife. Honestly, when, I, when she's by my side, I honestly feel like there's not a hill that I'm not willing to take. And this withness, this idea that she would be with me and that she would live with me and that she would, we would together agree upon a goal and go after it. The fire that that places inside of me, the, the courage that I've discovered in that. Come on, stop and think about that. Jesus Christ has given you a mission. Jesus Christ has placed upon you a calling, and he says this, I will be with you always. I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. I will give you the words to speak when it's time to talk. I will give you the strength to stand when it's time to stand. I will be with you always. You can go, and you will go if you go in my strength. Will you go? Will you pick up the charge? If you're a disciple of Jesus, he's asking you to make disciples of Jesus. Parents with children. Friends with friends. Neighbors with neighbors. Those called to entire nations. Come on, who's in? Would you stand with me this morning as we contemplate these things? Father, we pray this morning, even as we've traversed a very familiar passage of Scripture, Lord God, we are asking that you would use us, that you would move in us, that you would speak to our hearts, bring us conviction. God, we want to go where you would have us to go. And so we sing now, Lord God, in response to your truths. In Jesus' name, amen.